get up and do my thing. I want to get into it, man, you know. Like, I, you know I'm the man, don't you? Can I count it off? One, two, three, four. You're listening to the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibbony, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a Christian worldview. Transcend partisanship and political ideology with us as we seek true discipleship in the public square. I'm schooled in the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave, I'm unchained, I'm Frederick Douglass with a fade. This is the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibbony. Happy August. Justin, how are you? I'm doing pretty well, brother. I'm actually getting my uh, air condition fixed as summer close comes to a close. Um, would have liked to have that done earlier, but <laughs> it ran out of parts. It's been a long, it's been a long back and forth, but I'm glad it's finally getting done. So I'm, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll have next next year to look forward to. Then again, you're in Atlanta, so you so you'll, you'll you'll get some time out of it. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's good to be on with you. Another busy week, although it's also, uh, you know, I think the first story we're going to talk about this week is. Uh, you know, so, something of, you know, an August story, sort of <laughs> the press gets a little time to uh, breathe and focuses on, on things that are important, but maybe not uh, always, uh, you know, pressing right up to the minute. Uh, although, you know, the, the, um, the, the, the consequences or the, the implications of the QAnon, sort of stream uh, are, are pretty significant. So let's, you know, just, just jump in. Uh, I, I had a fascinating time. I, I was fascinated just uh, researching for the show. I was reading quite a bit. And prior to this week, I didn't realize uh, how far reaching QAnon was. Uh, the fact that there are, uh, there's a bunch of merchandise available related to this online. Oh, uh, why, why don't can, can you recap for people what is QAnon? It's kind of hard to wrap your arms around. Uh, it's a conspiracy theory that thrives online on Reddit and 4chan, uh, but uh, it, this is all somehow tied and related to PizzaGate, right? It's just very confusing. Justin, help us help us get some clarity on this. <laughs> I'll try. I, I think p- part of the point is not to to not to be clear, so we can only be so clear in explaining it. Um, so apparently Q is this anonymous online character who started a conspiracy theory on 4chain in October of 2017. And basically he or she was saying that they were like a government operative and they were in this meeting where they got all this information um, with the Trump administration and what was going on. So a lot, I won't say a lot. Some pro Trump people are part of this QA9 group. Uh, also known as the storm. The reason that it's called the storm, because apparently a day or two before uh, Q, this anonymous character, uh, start putting this stuff out there. Trump said something about, you know, this is just the calm before the storm. And they've taken this and created this huge conspiracy theory. And the basic message from this conspiracy theory is this, that everything going on with the Trump administration, the scandals, the investigation, that it's all planned that he's not in any trouble. He's really just the puppet master. So him and Mueller are working together. He's, Mueller's not really investigating Trump. They're working together to get the Russians. Uh, this is all smoke and mirrors to bring down some type of pedophile ring, which goes back to Pizzagate. 
Uh, some folks are saying that Hillary Clinton and George Soros are going to jail or that they already might be in jail. And then they'll end everything with trust the plan. So basically anything that happens to the Trump administration, it's all under control. It's all part of this grand plan. And we, you know, Trump is really just saving America and they're creating all this smoke and mirrors so that uh, people <laughs> so that people uh, are kind of distracted so that they can really uh, deal with Democrats and, you know, uh, uh, like liberal don't donors who are doing all this uh, mischievous stuff. And so that's the basis of it. Q, uh, obviously, it's the 17th number in the alphabet. And so they do a lot of kind of symbolism with uh, the number 17. You see people like uh, Sean Hannity and Alex Jones from InfoWars, two very, very credible people (laughs) uh, kind of playing into all of this. And, you know, if you read the post from Q, who some are saying is actually Trump himself, (laughs) which is crazy, um, his post really they read like a sixth grade. That's the most Justin, 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 that's the most believable. That's the most believable scenario. Actually, it might be. And all this stuff, that might be the most believable one. But if you read these posts, I mean, they're completely ridiculous. Like, yeah, I just kind of came out of this meeting with, you know, Trump officials. We're doing this. We're doing that. I'm just letting you know. And again, it's like, again, I said, it's like a sixth grade fiction paper. And, and we have grown folks who are choosing to believe this and kind of run with it. I'll end, I'll end here and just kind of let you take it from here. You know, I, I think I should say that there are conspiracy theories that are real, right? It's ahistorical to say that uh, conspiracies don't exist. I mean, we've all heard of the Tuskegee experiment, COINTELPRO, the FBI conspiracy to discredit MLK and so on. And so it is naive uh, to think or for us to pretend that people in power never conspire. And when you're pointing out a conspiracy, it's always just a theory until you can prove it. And so the reason that I'm saying this is I don't want to cr- cr- uh, discredit all efforts to point out covert, nefarious activity uh, that hasn't yet been proven. That said, uh, QAnon, which I guess is Q Anonymous, is ridiculous. It has little basis in reality. And it's really just a product of people not wanting to think critically, which we'll talk about that little a little bit down the road. But it's it's very silly. And anybody, anybody who's paying attention and isn't too into like science fiction should see right through this. Yeah, you know, Justin, I want to like, uh, there's a part of me that wants to, is tempted to wax philosophical on this. I mean, obviously, this ties into so many themes we talk about in other uh, scenarios that are less ridiculous. But honestly, it just seems kind of silly to go from uh, what you just said and what you just described to a conversation about uh, the democratization of media and the news or, or uh, uh, the undermining of uh, truth and expertise in society. You know, I just feel like a little weird <laughs> trying to get too deep with this. Uh, I mean, there, there's, for me, there's just like a sadness ab- uh, 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 about it. I, I mean, there are, uh, uh, there are people who are dedicating a significant portion of their lives to uh, investing in this conspiracy theory and the entire environment surrounding it. And, uh, you know, it would be, it would be one thing if folks were wasting their time on uh, benign hobbies or that kind of thing. But as we saw with Pizzagate, uh, 
this this isn't benign. This isn't always uh, ridiculous and silly because sometimes people act on uh, this kind of information. We saw this with with Pizzagate. We saw this. There was an NBC reporter um, uh, that was at uh, the recent Trump rally talking with people and. Uh, you know, I, I get the sense that some of them are sort of in on the game. They kind of get a kick out of uh, out of uh, out of playing with this sort of thing. But there there are others for whom you know this is this is real real life for them, and and the the psychological harm that comes from that is pretty uh, is pretty significant. I, I I would imagine. Yeah, and before we scare anybody too much, I think this is pretty much on the margins. I don't think most of your, you know, most uh, voters are are really into this. Although, as you said before, people like Hannity and others are playing around with it. So they'll throw 17 out there and play with those numbers. And that's extremely dangerous. And I hope, you know, they're held responsible for that. Yeah. So, uh, again, this is like uh – it's kind of a classic August story in, in that uh, it's it's a, a bit of a niche uh, niche movement compared to you know the other the other things going on and the other you know array of beliefs that people people subscribe to. Uh, but but uh, you know I, I guess the last thing I'd say is that this does show um, the amazing capacity of relatively simple websites in terms of coding and, and just sort of what they offer uh, the, the, the way that, you know, something like Reddit or 4chan could, could be used to create something uh, that does have ramifications regardless of, you know, how, how widespread uh, it is something, something to contend with. Yeah. Well, well, let's take a quick break. When we get back, uh, we're going to we're going to discuss uh, President Trump's tweet of LeBron James at probably the height of his popularity. And of course, I'm speaking of King James, not President Trump. But we'll we'll catch you all up on that when we return from this break. This is the Church Politics Podcast. And we're back with the Church Politics Podcast. And Justin, you know, LeBron James had an incredible week last week. He launched uh, his school in uh, in Akron that was kind of a passion project for him and was receiving, you know, rave reviews for uh, for the launch of the school, what the school stood for, what it was providing, not just to students, but to sort of wrap around care around the families of the students. Uh, and then, you, you know, of course, any president in the past uh, would have uh, would have sought to align him or herself with uh, with an effort like that. Uh Except for this one, and the reason why is because this one tweets while he's watching CNN. <laughs> and so uh, on, uh, I guess, Friday, or, or maybe it was, I'm sorry, Saturday, uh, President Trump tweeted, uh, LeBron James was just interviewed by the dumbest man on television, Don Lemon. He made LeBron look smart, which isn't easy to do. I like Mike. Um, I think it's worth noting here that 
reporters got a hold of Michael Jordan, and Michael Jordan said that uh, he sided with LeBron James on this. Uh, but but yeah, Justin, what do you think about the president of the United States once again using his Twitter account to sort of uh, uh, highlight, I guess is a word one could use, attack is another, uh, a, a citizen, and in this case, you know, someone who uh, is you know, a beloved, even if you don't like uh, the Lakers now or the Cavs, uh, a beloved, well-known athlete. I mean, it would be like Clinton, uh, you know, holding a press conference and talking about how Michael Jordan, you know, was an idiot or, you know, it's just such a weird, weird thing. Yeah. Uh, So first, let me say this. I'll start on a positive. I just want to shout out LeBron James. Um, who I don't see as the king of basketball, but I do support and have a lot of respect for all jokes aside. He is an upstanding citizen. Uh, He is somebody that kids can look up to. He takes care of his community. And so everybody should feel good about what LeBron James is doing. Even if you are um, a fan of Kobe or otherwise, or Michael Jordan or whatever. Uh, And I want to shout out his, his, I promise school. Um, As you mentioned, it's for low income and at risk students in Akron, Ohio, which is his hometown. He really takes care of his hometown. It's a full service community school, which is something that and campaign has been supporting for a while, uh, part of our platform. Uh, So we continue to support that. And according to SB nation, the school focuses on accelerated learning, uh, provides job placement assistance for parents, has an on-site food bank, supports students with stress from uh, income uh, causes, uh, gives every student a bike, and guarantees college tuition to the University of Akron to all the graduates of the school starting in 2021. Man, that is incredible work, and I hope that it inspires others to do the same in low-come areas. So hats off to LeBron James. Uh, we are proud of you for for all you're doing in that regard. And I know you feel the same way, Michael. I'm just sick of of talking about these petty back and forth. We have sure. to because, unfortunately, it's the president. And you, right. you would hope that, you know, we would have an adult in the uh, in the in the uh, Oval Office. You would wish that uh, he would focus on all the major issues that he has to pay attention to. We wish that. Uh, his uh, ego wasn't so fragile and he felt like he had to respond to everybody that says something to him or disagrees with uh. him or criticizes him. But that's not who the American people voted in this time around. And so unfortunately, we have to cover these back and forths that are just not really worth anybody's time. But because his office is so important, we have to talk about. It. And so yeah, it, it, it's unfortunate. Um, I, I wish it didn't happen. I think, you know, Peter Weiner basically uh, had a very good tweet, and I saw that you had a viral tweet on this as well. Uh, But Peter Weiner said this, who is a a, a conservative. He said that Trump's made the same criticism of black athletes, journalists and black members of Congress. He attacks their intelligence. His racist appeals aren't even disguised anymore. The closest figure in modern national politics to Trump, question mark, is George Wallace. Trump now defines the GOP. Um, and it's hard not to agree with. Yeah, him. it's very hard not to agree with what he's saying. I'm not one of those people that says no white person can question the intelligence of an African-American. But within context and based on the messenger and what he's done before, it's hard not to take offense to this and take it very seriously. Uh, Trump should not make these statements. And he has defined the GOP. 
And so all the playing around or whatever you want to do, it is time to distinguish yourself from Trump and really rebuke all the stuff that's been happening and all the things that he's been saying. Uh, We've talked a long time about the situation that Republicans are in. A lot of them do realize that this is craziness, but they see benefits in the policies that he's pushing and they're afraid to go against them because really the base is still with them. So if I'm a senator, you know, from from almost any of the states and I'm on the Republican side, it is very hard for me to go against uh, Trump. And you saw several senators who just stepped down probably because of that reality. So it's not that it's not a tough situation, but that's what when character comes in. Character is not something that we need in the easy situations is that it's what we need in the tough situations. Uh, Integrity is where this comes in. It's really time to stop playing around with it. I truly believe that all the gains or wins that um, Republicans are getting right now really pyrrhic victories, me- meaning that they will the cost of that victory will be more than the benefit, and something needs to happen. I'll say one more thing about this. Just historically, I've been reading a lot uh, of the writings of Frederick Douglass lately, and in the preface, in the preface, excuse me, to his autobiography of the abolitionist who wrote the preface, William uh, Lloyd Garrison, uh, while commenting on Douglas's uh, great intellect, he says this, and this is good context for, for, for the statement that was made. Nothing has been left undone to cripple the intellect of black Americans, to darken their minds, debase their moral nature, and obliterate all traces of their relationship to mankind. Understanding that that's the background uh, and some sort of the history of this country when it comes to black Americans, the president should be extremely slow to just question some. First of all, he questioned two people who are not unintelligent. Number two, be very careful in doing that. And that's not something anybody should take lightly. And I'd like to hear more Republicans speak out in that regard, because uh, given our history, that's not something we should play with. Yeah, <laughs> Justin, I think you all laid out very well. I'll just reaffirm the idea that we discuss on this show very often, uh, which is that politics is not just about policy, that the culture of our politics is deeply impacts the fabric of this nation. And we have uh, a highly corrosive individual uh, to the culture in the office right now. And so, uh, and so, yeah, uh, w- look, the, less than 90 days until the midterm elections, uh, George Packer, uh, wrote in the New Yorker, uh, this past week, uh, that that's basically, you know, all, all, the, all that's left that, 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 uh, this November will be a, a key moment where, uh, a message will be sent to the Republican Party, uh, to the country, and to President Trump, and uh, and, and that's where our politics is going to pivot over the next few months. And of course, we're going to follow it all closely with you. Uh, along those lines, uh, the Netroots Nation held their conference, uh, and uh, it was. Uh, I think uh, quite indicative of, of what's to what's to come. So we'll we'll talk about Netroots Nation uh, when we get back after this break. This is the Church Politics Podcast. 
All right, we're back with the Church Politics Podcast. And Justin, last week uh, in New Orleans, Netroots Nation uh, held their annual conference bringing together uh, the Democratic Party uh, and really the nation's top progressives, where they sent uh, the message that that moderates uh, didn't have a place in their movement or in their vision of the Democratic Party. Uh, And while some of the candidates uh, that spoke there uh, didn't embrace that message. So, for instance, uh, Kamala Harris, who we've discussed before, has given to donated to some of those uh, moderate Democrats and has called for the party to come together. They also didn't necessarily lay out a robust case for uh, uh, why <laughs> for why that should be the case, why moderates should be included, and why some of the more extreme. Uh, ideas embrace it, Netroots Nation, like uh, abolishing ICE, which we've discussed on a previous episode, uh, should be uh, rejected. I mean, this was, you know, similar to CPAC on on the right. This is a, a red meat uh, conference where uh, speakers vie for who's going to uh, who's going to be able to. Uh, sort of lock up the left wing of the party. So it was it was fascinating to see if you want to uh, if you want to understand the direction of just one wing of the party, and that's an, that's very important to state. <laughs> you know, if you watch Fox News or if you listen to conservatives, uh, they will uh, they will act like this is all that's in the Democratic Party. Uh, there were a lot of people who were not there at Netroots Nation. <laughs> so as you're reading through the speakers list of Netroots Nation, make sure you're keeping in mind who didn't go, <laughs> uh, who either wasn't invited or who didn't want to speak to this kind of audience. Uh, but if you want to get a sense of the future of a sort of one wing of the party uh, and certainly sort of the 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 left wing of the progressive movement, the sort of uh, uh, core of the progressive movement, uh, checking out some of the talks and uh, some of the reporting out of Networks Nation would be a good place to start. Justin, I, I know you took a look at uh, some of the some of the conference. Uh, what what did you think? Yeah, again, well, this is a conference that f- for for no uh, for, for for some reason that you and me probably would not attend. Uh, you, you pretty much have to be a stone progressive kind of far left to 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 get this invite and really participate in it. Um, and what I took from it, I mean, if you even look at CNN, uh, one of the main messages that was taken from this conference was that progressives won't settle for a moderate to take out Trump. And so during this, you heard a lot of people embracing single payer. You heard people embracing abolishing ICE. And I've already talked about why I think that is a silly idea um, and just clearly embracing socialism. Uh, I know one of the New York candidates or one of the candidates running for mayor in New York said, hey, they're going to call us socialists anyway. Let's just really be socialists. Um, we talked about Kamala uh, Harris. Uh, she kind of defended a focus on race, gender and sexual orientation rather than just economics. Um, I understand some of that. Um, and it was, you know, a clear rejection of centrism. And to a point, I agree with the fact that generic centrism is really ineffective. Right. Uh, being in the middle just to be in the middle doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But ending up in the middle of two extremes is a lot different. And so I warn the the Democrat Party and progressives to be careful about getting more extreme just because the other side is getting extreme. 
right? This either you're all the way in or all the way out stuff. You know, this is a common tactic used by gangs and cults too, right? I mean, you it's, it, you can talk about it and it fires people up and forces people into a corner, but it's not necessarily good politics or what's best for the country. So let's say at the end of the day, this is the best way to regain power. Is it the best thing for the country? And that's what right. we need to be thinking about, not just an exchange of power. The only relationship where it's all the way in or all the way out I have is with the body of Christ. So you'll never see me uh, feel like when it comes to a party or ide- ideology that I need to be all the way in or all the way out. That's not the way I do politics or even see politics. And I re- re- recommend that point of view for Christians in general. Now, there's, they're talking all this stuff. And I think even someone even used Franklin D. Roosevelt. And basically it was like, hey, we were the strong, strongest when Franklin Roosevelt was in office. And I don't know necessarily know if they know the history of that. Right. I think that's a good example when it comes to maybe some social programs. But when you're talking about liberal extremism, uh, FDR really isn't a good example of that. This is somebody who most of the things that he pushed, including the New Deal, really had bipartisan support. And there were people that were against it, but he was able to talk and work with other people to get things done. So to call him an extremist, I think that's really bad history. Also, if we look at the Clinton, uh, the last Clinton presidential race, she didn't necessarily run as a centrist. Um, she was really pushed very far to the left by Bernie Sanders on several issues, especially economic issues. Uh, of course, there were other issues within that that candidacy. But, you know, so even the narratives that are being pushed around here are are just kind of tough to swallow. Again, I think it all has to come down to is this the best thing for the American people, not just the best thing to get Trump out of office? What puts us in the best position to help people going as far to the extreme as possible? I don't think that's where it's at, even though I believe that just being a centrist, just because it sounds cool, I'm going to find the middle regardless. is pretty ineffective, too. But there's a lot of there's a lot of room to be a centrist these days because the two parties are so polar opposite. Well, right. I, I mean, if, how about we have a conversation about what would be helpful for the country? Not all of this, uh, not all this uh, positioning. I, I mean, you're exactly right uh, to be a, a centrist for the sake of being a centrist, or because it makes you feel like uh, it makes you feel like you're just triangulating everything just right and you're not too hot, not too cold. That that's wrong. And we've talked about that on this show. It's part of the reason why, uh, you know, I, I speak so directly about independence and, and why I think independence could, could steward their, uh, their, their influence a, a bit more wisely. But, but uh, saying that, well, they're going to call us socialists anyway, so we might as well be socialists, is no more principled. <laughs> and so, like, the, the Democratic Party is going to win when they're able to have earnest conversations that, that don't uh, uh, duck and dodge, uh, that face reality as it is, and that they can look uh, it, it, they could take their message into every corner of this country and say, this is the best vision for America. This is the best vision for my district. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think we've seen that. I don't think we've seen that uh, over the last three, four years. Uh, but they're going, uh, well, I was, I was just about to say that they're going to need it in 2018. But, you know, really the sad thing is, is that they may, they may not. And that's my concern for the Democratic Party, which is uh, we we have a uh, a president with 
uh, really horrible numbers of the opposing party. The, the midterm elections after a presidential election are uh, historically good anyways for uh, for the opposition party, for the party out of power. And so the concern would be uh, that Democrats win and they confuse beating Trump with uh, an embrace for uh, for the kinds of the kind of approach to politics that we saw at Netroots Nation, which is only going to end them up in a uh, in a tough spot in 2020, I think. And so, uh, yeah, I I I I, I, I want to see a party that is willing to take its message to every corner of the country uh, and is able to say that this what we're putting forward is the best for the country, uh, not. Uh, it's just left enough. It's just center enough. Who who cares about that stuff? I mean, I mean really. Uh, and uh, you know, again, I just close by saying, Netroots Nation, the the folks there, uh, certainly some of them are going to be leaders in this party. Some of them already are. I think uh, Julian Castro is uh, is is going to be a, a big leader. Former HUD secretary. Obviously, uh, Senators Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris, uh, Governor Steve Bullock might be running for president. Uh, but there, there are uh, there are other aspects of the of the party as well, and uh, it, it's going to be a very interesting primary season as uh, these various wings of the Democratic Party try and uh, try and uh, first debate and then come together to uh, uh, to, to elect some leader. Yeah, it should be interesting. And that's a good point. The the real to me, the real challenge here and risk is picking up seats, which should be expected to happen anyway. That's just kind of how history goes. And then you do have a president who, who's kind of uh, extreme. But taking that to mean, oh, everybody's embracing the extremism on our side. That is a huge risk that um, that uh, Democrats run. I don't have a problem with having a big tent that includes some people who are uh, further to the left than I. But once once you have kind of like a takeover and that's seen as the way to be, I think it's going to become problematic. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, we're going to take one last quick break. And when we uh, when we uh, come back, we're going to return to a theme we talk a lot about on the show, and that's critiquing your side. This is the Church Politics Podcast. All right. We're back at the Church Politics Podcast. And what we wanted to close with uh was was actually springing springboarding off of a conversation on social media. Uh, I had made some comments uh, that the Department of Justice last week initiated a religious uh, freedom task force that's focused domestically. Uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced it. Uh, it actually had some some really significant uh, leaders there. It, it uh, from th- that are respected even outside of sort of right wing politics. Michael McConnell out of Stanford is, is probably uh, uh, the preeminent religious liberty scholar in the country. Uh, uh, and actually, uh, side note, uh, in I've talked about David Garrow's biography of Barack Obama quite a bit on this show, but Michael McConnell's uh, uh, Michael McConnell's essay for the Harvard Law Review was the last essay that uh, the last article that Barack Obama edited as uh, editor of the Harvard Law Review. Uh, so that's a that's a little like if you're on Jeopardy, that might be a question. Uh, <laughs> but uh, 
<laughs> Attorney General Sessions announced this task force. And of course, it started another ream of stories about sort of Christian persecution, the, 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 the right claiming that this is, uh, you know, going to be the, the great, you know, government effort to finally stamp out uh, religious freedom problems. The left saying that religious freedom problems for Christians don't exist. It's all special pleading. Uh, and, and I, you know, I, I just short, sort of shared my opinion that Democrats need to have a better response to uh, the Trump administration's and Republican appeals on religious freedom than the sort of the slogan, the bumper sticker that religious freedom equals discrimination, that that they know that's not true. And, and I can tell you they know it's not true because left-wing groups are often quietly on the amicus briefs for Supreme Court cases uh, that involve religious freedom issues, even religious freedom issues for Christians. So that, so they, they, they know uh, that these things are handled quietly uh, when everybody agrees with them. Uh, but, but folks know that there are issues here and tensions and things to work out. Uh, and yet the political message for convenience and for a political advantage is to dismiss any religious freedom claims from uh, Christians as, uh, again, special pleading as, uh, as a as a mere power play. Uh, and I think the Democrats uh, owe the country a better, uh, a positive case for religious freedom. And then interestingly, as you know, not surprising, someone jumped into my mention saying, you know, uh, and, and, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but, you know, the basic idea was, you know, with how awful this administration is and uh, with how much the, w- with the possibility that this task force is going to be used for ill, which I agree with, uh, that's going to be misused. You know, how could you critique Democrats? And, you know, my basic response to that is, uh, first, I've been working on religious freedom issues for uh, a decade. Uh including years and years of uh, actually working for a democratic president defending his. So like people know where I stand. It's in my, it's in my bio. Uh, And this isn't about, this is just generally, which is when people are arguing from a certain location, they shouldn't have to constantly uh, uh, puff up their bona fides and reaffirm what everybody already knows in order to, say something else. Uh, it's actually because of my work in the Democratic Party that I know the party well enough to see uh, places where they could improve. Uh, and yet somehow, for some reason in this environment, it's like, you know, if, if you're, if you're going to critique, uh, if you're going to critique uh, the Democratic Party, you're really helping the other guys. No, I actually think not critiquing the Democratic Party is helping the other guys. I actually think the Democratic Party doing doing things that are wrong uh, helps the other party. Not not <laughs> not pointing out areas where they could improve. That doesn't that doesn't help the Republicans. Uh, if the Democrats improve, that's gonna that's gonna harm the Republicans. That, that that's how. That's how politics works. And so uh, just I know you kind of spotted that conversation and had uh, had some thoughts. So what, what do you think about this? Yeah. So, you know, I agree with you on this. Um, and so we had that situation. And then our our, our friend, uh, Dr. C.J. Rhodes, gave a great uh, talk on Facebook Live about. Oh, it was so good. Yeah, it was awesome. It was he gave, so good. gave a great talk and got great responses. 
uh, about the the pastors, the black pastors who met with Trump and the problem that the, that he had with that not being that they met with him, but being used for a photo op. And just go see it on it's on the Ann campaign's Facebook page, and also you can you can find it on our Twitter. But did an excellent job, and so he had a you know he had a very strong critique of Trump and the administration. I think he spent five to seven minutes. Uh, mentioning Democrats and his critique on that and how they and how some pastors actually go overboard with supporting them. And, you know, there are a couple people and I want to be clear, anybody we're talking about right now, we're not attacking you personally. This isn't a personal thing. And but this just happens so much. And these just happen to be two examples. And someone's like, hey, that's false equivalence uh, equivalency. How could you talk about the Democrats, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, dude, <laughs> by definition, that's not false equivalence because I talked about them for five minutes and talked about the other side for, you know, for 30 uh, or 45 minutes. And so you just hear this all the time. And I want to start off by saying this. You know, a critique of one party isn't necessarily an endorsement of the other party. Uh, it's about bettering those you are associated with or bettering the the polit- social political space in general. If we always point the finger at the other party when we're being critiqued, then we'll miss the point and we won't be compelled to ever improve. Uh, it's just like any other relationship. If your wife says, you know, uh, Michael, you need to clean up after yourself and you automatically say, well, you need to be more punctual. Then it's very clear that you haven't processed or internalized anything she said and you're not very likely to improve. Uh, this is all about self-examination. It's about discern discernment. Uh, which is always necessary. The Bible talks about self-examination and discernment. The epistles are full of Paul telling the early church to examine itself. Socrates talked about self-examination. It should not be overlooked or obscured. It's not something we should try to avoid. Now, when we lack understanding, I understand why a public uh, why public self-examination or critique appears to be negative. Why would you do that? You're making us look bad is kind of the, the commentary that comes with that. But at the end of the day, it's healthy. And again, it should be unavoidable, especially when it comes to political parties. I've said this before. I think it's a good idea for Christians to participate in political parties and partisan politics. Uh, but we should never, ever get to the point where we are so connected to them that we won't criticize them. And what really gets to me is that cats will criticize the church all day and support criticism of the church all day, but then act like it's blasphemy to criticize Democrats or Republicans, depending on what side they're on. Now, I'll criticize the church, too, if I think it's going to be constructive. I get that. So you better believe that I'm going to criticize the party when I think it is constructive and necessary to do that. Uh, And if you're if you're not willing to criticize your party, that's what's (laughs) called indoctrination. It's indoctrination. It means that that you have been trained to accept a set of beliefs or to accept whatever a certain group does uncritically. That means without questioning it. And indoctrination is completely unacceptable for Christians, especially when it comes to politics and ideology. Uh, The other thing that I would say to people who put these arguments out there is read your history, read your history. Ida B. Ida B. Wells critiqued other women's rights activists when she disagreed with them. Frederick Douglass, a former slave, criticized other abolitionists and refused to support them on other issues when he disagreed with them. This was on slavery. Do you know how important it was to abolish slavery? And yet he still thought it was important to critique the people that he was working with and say, well, I'll support you on this, but I won't support you on that. 
And you're telling me there's an issue today that we can't critique and be nuanced in how we approach it. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, And I'll end with this. The term false equivalency, man, is now being used by progressives really to avoid all critique. Like it's all comprehensive. Basically, if you critique Republicans and Democrats in the same setting, then you're engaging in false equivalency. But the truth of the matter is, if I say that both parties have failed millennials in regard to student loans or that both parties gave Wall Street a pass, that's not false equivalency. That's facts. Or if I say that Republicans are really bad on a certain issue and that Democrats can approve on that issue, that is not false equivalency. So stop using that to avoid debate, to avoid critique. Uh, If you criticize Republicans who fail to, to, to critique Trump, then set an example by thoughtfully critiquing your side. And I think that'll make our whole system a lot better. Right. Yeah, it's ex- it's exactly right. Yeah, uh, Justin, I th- I think we we should leave it uh, leave it there. Uh, uh, it's uh, th- that idea that if you're willing to if you're willing to critique the church but hesitant to uh, critique your political party, that might be an indication of of where things where things lie for you. Uh, that that that's worth some some self reflection. Uh, uh, Justin, it was uh, great talking with you as we head into August. Church Politics Podcast is not taking a break this summer. So we'll be back next week with uh, uh, with a guest, I believe, and excited to share that with you. Uh, until then, uh, Justin, a- any final words? Yeah, I would just kind of build up a t- partic- uh, <laughs> build up anticipation a little bit. We have a pretty big announcement coming for you pretty soon. I'm not going to tell you what that is, but it should be fun. So make sure you keep tuning in uh, to this because you're going to hear something that I think you guys will enjoy. And also keep your eye on a high on Ohio's congressional district 12. That's going to be a very yes. interesting race that we should all be wa- watching. It'll let us know if this is going to be really a blue wave or not. This isn't. Uh, I believe this is a district that Trump won by. 20 plus and it's very close right now so if democrats end up winning this one it could be signs of bigger things to come yeah very important that they uh the republican candidate uh just managed to get john Kasich's endorsement after Kasich held out for really for months and so uh i think it's yeah balderston and o'connor it's it's going to be a heck of a race that's exactly right and we'll uh uh, next week, we'll make sure to uh, to let you you know who won and why and break it down for you. All right, folks, this is the Church Politics Podcast. Have a blessed week. Take care. Advocate for those feeling abandonment in the favelas and slums of ghetto inhabitants. It's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? The only thing good came out of Nazareth. This is the groove. Tell me, can yeah. I'm schooled in the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave. I'm unchained. I'm Frederick Douglass with a fade.